Welcome to Growing Home, the podcast that helps you take care of the place that means the most to you, your home. I'm your host, Terry Therian, alongside your co-host, Len Giddix. Well, good morning, Len, and we're back here in the studio with another great episode for everyone. I love what you've done to this place. This you know is what? Really... We're, we're just, we just keep chipping away at it, and the, the studio is really coming together. Good to see you again, Terry. Before we get started and jump into this episode... We're going to announce the winner of our first Growing Home Podcast grab bag. All right. Yeah. So, and just as a reminder, in order to enter, all we need is an email at podcast at com. That's P O D C A S T at M A C K E Y S I N C dot com. Uh, That's podcast at com. If you have questions, thoughts, concerns, or we'd just uh, like to hear from you. Yeah. Just see see what now. How does that work? Do we email them back when they win? We will. Yep. Okay. Yep. So today's winner will be getting an email shortly, letting them know that they uh, won our first grab bag. This is something great. And there's there's just a pile of stuff in this box over here. More stuff gets added every week, and um, you know, all from you know the vendors and partners that we have. So great. And maybe maybe some other cool stuff we come come across as well. So yeah. Cool. So we'll get to it. So. Go ahead, Len, if you could do the honors here of wow, uh, picking okay. our first prize. All right. There's no mouse traps in here, is there? On the bottom. Okay. On the bottom. So just watch your fingertips. Well, here you go. Wow. An origin hat. This is a cool hat. My gosh. This is top quality. It's stretchy. I bet the Red Sox don't even have hats like this. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Uh, maybe, maybe we should let them know about these hats. I think so. Yeah, so Origin gave us these hats. Uh, it's a really nice, it's a flex fit hat. Uh, well, Origin's a really cool company. I've actually been to their plant in Southern Kentucky, mm-hmm. and Origin is a brand within the Champion Pet Food Company, and their whole approach when developing the Origin line of products was the owner sat back or the founder, and he said, you know, if I were to make the best food that I could think of like everything just as ideal as possible what formula would that be and that's the formula that turned into today's origin they spelled origin wrong oh it's origin not origin origin yes yeah you know I've been out to the facility in Kentucky and uh, it was a great experience and and we got to meet some of the farmers that produce the ingredients we actually went fishing for uh, some of the fish that goes in cool Uh, so our first winner is Bob from Pomfret, who emailed us a couple questions as well. And, you know, first, we just want to thank Bob for listening. Yeah. And, and you know what? He's going to win the hat, whether the questions are really good or really bad. Just he has to email. That's all. That's it. Just an email. Okay. But he did have some great questions. Yeah, I think so. So his first question was, can I use my pile of grass clippings as a compost for the lawn and garden? Yes. However. <laughs> but. <laughs> but. But. You know, uh, it's Bob, right? It is Bob. Bob. I was a composter for 16 years over in Franklin. And uh, there is a little formula that you should use to make good compost. The problem with grass clippings and grass clippings alone is they're very moist, they're very green, and they get 
greasy when they decompose because there's uh, they get anaerobic, they fall on each other, and uh, there's the wrong kind of organism breaking it down. What's recommended is to use at least 50% brown stuff, uh, leaves, uh, hay, straw, something dried, okay? Mm-hmm. Straw is better. At least 50% and probably even more. 80-30, uh, 70-30 is, uh, with the 30% being the green stuff. Now, you've got a lot of green stuff in there. The important thing is if you want, you can use total green stuff, but you really got to aerate that uh, every couple of days. Turn that pile over. The other way, and this is from experience, is uh, once you establish a compost pile that is upright, not just a pile, but make a bin out of old pallets or something, four by four bin, and put your uh, waste material in there um, and add as many leaves as possible, but also go out and purchase some red wigglers. Uh, these are uh, worms that are from te- the south uh, where the, uh, they, they, are, they are native, and they eat this stuff up and they make a wonderful compost for the ants and then uh, if you design the bin right you can shovel it out the bottom when it comes out as black gold but you should put some brown stuff in there and uh, of course those pallets will allow for air to come in through the side the pile should steam you'll you'll get heat generated from grass clippings if they are done properly and then the other thing uh, you can do bob is just mulch the grass clippings while you cut it instead of bagging it that you know if you mulch all of your grass clippings throughout the year it is proven that that's equal to you know what would be the equivalent of a application of fertilizer so let's say you fertilize your lawn two to three times a year you know you can replace one of those just by mulching your grass clippings instead of bagging it the trick is that you have to mow frequently enough that you're not taking down a large more than like a third of the grass right more than the height of the grass blade when you cut it now, if you use a mulching more attachment and a mulching more blade, it is designed to do that. And when you use that that side shoot that everybody likes, you don't have that. It actually just falls back into the ground. You don't see the clippings. Two days, they're gone. I mean, gone in a healthy lawn. Great, great. So now uh, Bob has a second question, Uh-oh. is how to deter raccoons uh, from the feeder. He said he's put up a sign, and that hasn't worked for him. Well, you have to spell it in raccoon. Right, yes. right, right. Of course, they're not. No, ca- no capital letters in raccoon. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so that is a tough one. You can try to use uh, some sort of like natural repellent. Um, Repelzol is a poorly, there's a bad smelling repellent um, from Bonide. That would be something I would try. I do put that around the yard yep. for all sorts of little critters. But there are uh, raccoon baffles out there. They're called torpedo baffles they're very long so that the raccoon can't get up over to the top of the baffle where a squirrel baffle is more shorter in height but then and wider and that prevents them from being able to climb up the pole a raccoon baffle is longer more like a a cylinder shape right and Um, raccoons are as smart as squirrels if not smarter oh man well i have two suggestions for bob one is to get a bear if you tie a bear to your bird feeder pole I guarantee no raccoons. No raccoons. Okay. Uh, outside of that, um, we've seen the videos of raccoons bending standard flimsy poles over because they're pretty heavy. Once they get up at a certain point, the pole will bend over. Yep. Get a solid uh, iron pipe, aluminum pipe, so that it does bend over. Put a baffle halfway up, more than four feet anyway, 
And I think you can deter this raccoon from uh, going for that seed. Yeah. And the other way is put some corn out. Yeah, or just some dead fish or something like that. They'll, just they'll really just send them in the other direction. That's right. Or give your neighbor a bird feeder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, Bob, thank you so much for your questions. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to the next episode's winner. Cool. So, Len, I met with the founders of Nantucket Spider, Nancy Jack and Jeffrey Bush. And I heard your interview. Yes. yes it was awesome. It was, was. It was a, a great experience talking to a local Connecticut company and these two people who were established professionals in their career mm-hmm. find an issue that you know they became passionate about, mm-hmm. took a step back, and they went in as complete novice into an area that they really didn't know much about and from the ground up started the company. Nantucket Spider is, is an insect, a, a series of insect repellents, different formulas that's now specifically, they had the original, but the, they have them for children, for, for dogs and pets in general. Yep. Uh, and they're all different formulas based on the sensitivity of the animal, child or adult, and for different insects too. Because uh, as they found out, different insects respond differently to different repellents. And these repellents are just organic, non-GMO oils, essential oils. Most of them you have on your kitchen uh, shelf. Yeah. So with that, please enjoy our interview with Nancy Jack and Jeffrey Bush of Nantucket Spider. Nancy and Jeffrey, thank you for joining us this morning on the Growing Home Podcast. Thanks for having us. Can you share with our audience, you know, what is Nantucket Spider? Nantucket Spider, I should say, it's a bug repellent, and we're not from Nantucket, and our bug repellent doesn't repel spiders. At least it's not intended. It's a misnomer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's a natural, DEET-free line of bug repellents that um, are made from essential oils that are organic, non-GMO, and water, really. They're, they're made from ingredients that people recognize. Excellent. You know, what are the different formulas that you have? Because you have more than one, right? So our original formula that we started with, our goal was, you know, it was sort of an all-purpose bug spray. And this is kind of tied pretty much to how we came up with our idea in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think that what I found over the years is that natural repellents didn't work for me very well. They were pretty greasy or lotion-y, and they had a little pump sprayer that would dribble down the side of it and get all over your hands, and I couldn't apply them the way I needed to, and I needed, you needed to put them in your hair, on your clothes, places that you can really, you know, places where bugs crawl, as well as on your skin. Mm-hmm. Um, I also didn't like the feeling of a heavy, greasy lotion. Over time, I did some experiments on my own and came up with something that really worked for me. And this is before the business. This is before the business. Yeah. You know, I I spent my summers in Canada on an island where the bugs are really fierce. And I many years ago, I worked as a lawyer, an environmental lawyer in Canada, and paid a site visit to a hog lagoon, actually. And there were mosquitoes were everywhere. And we were in the middle of a hearing, and we were all dressed in our suits. And somebody passed around a can of DEET. And we, we all sprayed it on ourselves, and instantly my nylons dissolved. And I had oh, I had six hours till I was at back to the hotel where I literally had to scrape them off my legs. And that was back in the 90s, and there were, weren't many natural repellents available. So I began to 
experiment and try all the different ones until I came up with something that worked for me. And, and that's when my friend Jeffrey came in on the scene. Having no idea about any of that, I was telling Nancy about um, my weekend trip out in Nantucket uh-huh. and how I, I completely, I loved it, except for the horse flies that were landing on my head out at the jetties. And I don't, you know, I'm a vegetarian. I don't kill anything. But I found my hand slapping my head and I thought, my hand's a cold-blooded killer. <laughs> and, I, and I said to Nancy, how did the horse fly end up being the top of the food chain? Mm-hmm. Um, like you would think over the millions of years, something evolutionarily would come along and eat them out in Nantucket, like, a, I don't know, some native Nantucket spider. And Nancy said, huh, you know, we could make our own Nantucket spider. And I thought, what? <laughs> and she said, nothing that will eat anything or kill anything. But, um, you know, we could make something that would keep those horse flies off your head. And I said, on what basis? Because Nancy does this something about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. She pulls out a big five-gallon jug with a little Windex sprayer and said, well, this is what I use up in you know, Canada. And you can't get the 75 feet from where she lives to the water without a thick cloud of something. Yeah. And she said, this will work. <laughs> and uh, this will be our Nantucket spider. So it was a joke name. And we thought it, it really was just one product that we thought we would make. And we made it in her kitchen with an eyedropper and we were going to sell it to the Westport Farmer's Market. And I stopped at a grocery store and said, what, what will I sell this for at the Westport Farmer's Market? And they said, I'll make us a case. I'm like, what, what's a case? You know, so we started really with one product uh-huh. with an idea of making a handful of bottles. And suddenly we were selling to a store and then a, a few stores. And people asked us questions like, can I put it on my dog? Hence, we ended up with two products. We thought, oh, it's not a great product for the dog. So at this point, you guys are were just friends. Well, we were just, we were just looking yeah. for space. We had space in our lives. Our kids um, mm-hmm. didn't need us at home anymore. And and we had time to start something. And we were thinking, yeah. let's, let's do yeah, something Nancy together. Yeah, Nancy is really one of my closest friends. And I was having weekly lunches with her uh-huh. for... This was not at the beginning of our friendship. This no, this was, is this year, was, we'd been this is years in. Years. And, you know, every week she was inventing something interesting, whether mm-hmm. it was a new board game or new something. And so this just seemed right in line with everything else. So we had initially the people product and then one for dogs. And then, you know, we got, you know, what do you have for kids, which was driving us crazy because our products are so kid friendly. I mean, and kids really need repellent. Yeah. They're, they're out there playing for real. Yeah. Like that's their workplace is the lawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so they need really strong stuff, but we made a citronella formula for a no for, citronella, a no citronella yeah. formula for kids. Cause we found, you know, we went through our notes and we found that people had asked, do you have anything that's citronella free? My husband has an aversion or my kids. And so we made a citronella free version that we call summer camp. And then, you know, necessity being the mother of invention, we noticed that well after bug season is over, uh, we were getting ticks, uh-huh. and so we made a tick product. And so, and our, were... I should say that our our original repellent and our summer camp repellent and our dog repellent all have ingredients that repel ticks. But we wanted, we really were hearing a lot about from people who had Lyme disease and who had who were very very concerned with deer ticks in Connecticut, and we wanted to have a product that was specifically designed to be long-lasting and really, really targeted against ticks because we found that people needed that in addition to an all-purpose repellent. So we went about that one a little bit differently. I began with, you know, looking at studies on all the permitted ingredients and to see what really worked. And then we put together our best guess of what would work based on those studies. 
and sent it to a lab for testing. And we found that it repelled 92% of deer ticks. We were very pleased with that, and it works terrifically well. But I just wanted to say that when we first started that first summer, we really had thought that we'd be sitting at a farmer's market on Wednesdays. And we quite unexpectedly sold 1,800 bottles in our town of 18,000 people. Because it works. It works in really the first well. farmer's market? No, we never got to the farmer's market. Uh, we never actually made it there. So so even like just to put this in context, so, so you guys are both attorneys and you have this common problem of no good natural insect repellent and you've kind of taken your idea that's been homespun and now you're starting to introduce it to your local community. That's incredible. Well, we got, uh, we, and we ended up never going to a farmer's market because 25 local stores took us. And we... Well, the first year, actually, first year. It, was, it was 10, 10 stores that first year. And you, you were in Canada, so I, I don't know if you got the brunt of this, but people kept saying, have you seen Shark Tank? And I, I kept saying, well, I should tell you my business partner doesn't have a TV. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and do you have a business plan? And I thought, I don't know what that is. Because that wasn't really, you know, we weren't coming at this as a business. We were coming at this to solve a problem. Yeah, yeah. So you're not chemists, you're not entomologists, or business people. But but you say that, but Nancy's a Renaissance woman. A Renaissance woman, okay. Yeah, and so, so she is a chemist. Yeah. I'm a obsessive researcher about anything that uh-huh. I, anything I have a problem with, I try to look and look and look for solutions, and and that's what I, I just do that. Very cool, very cool. So you're, you're starting to sell it to these local retailers. So you, you're never actually a, start attending the farmer's markets. We, I never made it. Never yeah. made it. What was the next step? You know, you had to learn how to package them. You had to learn how to distribute them. Well, just to sort of give you a, a sense of sort of the mindset, I said to Nancy, we, you know, I'm not allowed to spend in my house more than $200 without checking with my spouse. Uh-huh. That's just how it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I said to Nancy, we have to make a beautiful label. And she said, Jeff, there's something called Adobe Illustrator. They have a free 30-day subscription. We've got 30 days to be experts. <laughs> so we did our own label and logo. And, 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 and that's right. You know, so, uh, so we just we figured it out step by step. And we, you know, our first thing was we'd walk around stores and go, how does all this stuff get in stores? How do, you, how do you go from your kitchen? And by this point, my husband had moved us into the garage because the kitchen was... Smelling an awful lot like bug spray most of the time. So it was all being made in the kitchen. <laughs> this was in the first the, the year. First, the first 1,500 bottles were in the kitchen. The second year... We had the shortest lived workforce. We hired kids. who would each kids. Work for us for one day before never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> it, it looked, you know, I'm sure we, you know, it probably isn't zoned right. It started to look like a meth lab with all the kids mixing and, oh, sure. and putting in the labels on. And so um, we quickly moved to a, uh, a factory. So we have a local factory in Norwalk that makes our products by contract, and they've been terrific to deal with. And it's nice that we can make everything local. That's great. How did you learn of like how to go in, go into the retail stores, of who to talk to? This is so, Jeffrey's so gift. The, 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 the two things. The, the first thing that I said is people would ask, "Have you seen Shark Tank?" The second thing is people kept saying, "Do you have a business plan?" And I thought. I don't even know what a business plan is, but if my dad were alive, he'd want me to have one of those, whatever that is. And I was on the SBA website, Mm -hmm. um, and I was typing business plan, and they have one, and I was sort of making one like theirs, and a little window popped up and said, would you like a a mentor? And uh, and I said, you know, if you're free and not a computer, I'm in. 
and SCORE, which there's 400 branches around the country, they contacted me the next day and we met with them. And he said, well, what's your plan of getting into stores and, and stuff? And yeah, I explained what we had done so far. And he's, you know, Barry said, this is impressive. It's hard to get into stores. Mm-hmm. But what's your plan to get into other stores? And I said, well, next spring, we'll, you know, we'll knock on other doors. He said, stores don't like that. You know, they want to know well in advance what they're going to buy. And, and so why did it work in your town? I said, well, everybody loves local things. He said, that won't work either. What else you got? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, we have something that works. I, I just went through it. I started, he helped me identify more clearly what it is that we have and, and what it is that we can provide. And I then replicated what happened. I just sent stores samples and I, or I called them and I said, can I send you a freebie sample? And most stores said, you can send me something free. Yes. And I said, I, you know, I will take no for an answer. Yeah. And I sent it. And most of the stores, once they saw it, and they said, no, no, this is the type of thing we probably would want. So we sent out maybe 170 samples. Mm-hmm. And 130 stores suddenly said, had said, yeah, we're probably going to carry it. By year two, we were suddenly in a business. Wow. Um, and, and what year was this? Like, how long ago was this? Uh, this was 2014. Oh, okay. And then since then, we, we had this wonderful man knock on our door, who's a hardware rep, one of the last of the traditional hardware reps. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're in all my stores. Can I rep your product? And he works seven days a week, Bill, Bill Derico. He works so hard. And he, he's done an amazing job taking us around to most of the Connecticut hardware stores, Rhode Island as well. And as a rep, he's going into each of the stores and servicing them, making and, sure. Yeah. He's, and he was our first rep. And he, he's, a, he's been an amazing, amazing person to work with. We're really grateful for Bill. And we then got into the natural market channel as well. And we, you know, we've really grown. We, this year we're in about 1,800 stores now. And we're wow. we're just... In five years. And we're almost, um, we're in the final stages of having a national sales team on the health food side. So we're really, feel really lucky. My husband keeps saying, I did not see this coming. <laughs> I did not see this coming. <laughs> Je- Jeffrey's husband said uh, he'd believe it was real when, when we made $5,000. Yeah. And he wasn't going to take and, him, and take it like seriously. Three till days then. in. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, it's like the, you know, we, we feel like we're kind of looking in the bakery because everything that comes in goes back into the business still. So we. Good for you guys. That's, that's fantastic. So as you're starting and you have a consumer product that you're putting in all these stores, and now you said 1,800 stores. So what were some of the challenges in turning this from, you know, the almost farmer's market product made in the kitchen to now you have this facility in Norwalk producing it for you? You know, what were some of the challenges in getting to that next level of growth? Well, first, in light of the fact that neither of us have have done anything like that, everything is new. Uh-huh. Everything is new. How to make a label, how to get the label to stick onto the bottle. How do you how, send stuff by UPS? What to wear? Nancy, I remember get it out of your garage an and early into a warehouse. conversation where we were sending everything out by postal service. And I said, but why do all businesses, most businesses, do UPS or FedEx or these other services? Mm-hmm. And he said, ah, maybe they're not careful readers. I don't know. Maybe you know, they just <laughs> didn't do the math. Um, and, I, and then we thought, well, everybody's doing it. Maybe there's a deal to be had, you know? And so we had to figure out what the process is. Are there special deals for if you sell enough, distribute enough? So we feel that we're on the bottom of a learning curve all the all time. All the time. Uh-huh. And, that's, and that's, you know, regulatory learning curve. It's just, you know, how do you... How, how do, do you, you invoice? How do you... How do you... Oh, and, you know, the f- first bunch we sent out, we didn't know they were supposed to put a packing slip in it. And our, <laughs> and our cases still have 
16 units in it because that's what fit in the box we bought and we didn't realize everyone sells by the dozen so we're still trying to figure <laughs> out how do you suddenly do a switcheroo and give people 12 of something when you've been doing 16 of them. you just call it the nantucket dozen or something <laughs> the nantucket dozen that's a good so, idea so if you could if you could take me through like what what's the the regulatory process or, or what have you has to do on the regulatory side for a consumer product it's something that people should know if they ever think about doing what we did we're a regulated business. Mm -hmm. We're regulated by the federal EPA, who exempts certain products if they stick to an ingredient list. But then 40 states step into the breach with their varying rules, and they regulate it themselves. And And they they regulate it using the same federal rule. But they all interpret it differently. So for instance, federal rule says, you can put in commonly edible herbs. One state says, "Eh, I don't think that's commonly edible. And then other states says, oh, I, I think so. And, and So we had lavender and Connecticut said so you can't eat it. And so we it's no longer in our products. And um, one of the other things, th- th- every state has its own rules for the label. Mm-hmm. And they all want the same stuff on it, but they might want it on a different place. Some of them want it on the front or they want it on, you know, in big letters. And one of the states objected to us calling ourselves the official bug spray of summer, which is our trademark unless we could prove sponsorship. <laughs> and and so the problem is you have these individuals and there's no review and there's no appeal. And if they say it, you can either not sell in that state or yeah. take it off your label. So we, you know, that's been a really big challenge. And it, one of them looked at our website. Now we've done another label for that state. And they looked at our website and they said, but the pictures on your website are different than the pictures on our label. And we said, well, those are the labels we registered in 35 other states like so it's really it's a very hard thing to navigate and yeah. and that i think that that was probably one of the biggest challenges we've had so with your unique background and being attorneys going into the insect repellent business do you think that has helped you along especially when it gets to the regulatory side of things it definitely helped us you know certainly at the beginning part the we're able to incorporate ourselves and do our trademarks ourselves mm-hmm. um, we had we hired someone to do our patent who sadly died in the process and we finished that as well and that we were very lucky to have our backgrounds for that we've decided that it's one of the things that we least like is the regulatory stuff so we have a friend now doing that and there's an adage that i'm sure people heard only a fool has himself as an attorney or, or something like that some uh, and i think jeffrey uh, just made that up i don't think that was an adage at all that's a new maybe adage a, maybe a, <laughs> it sounds very wise <laughs> it sounds wise it does but you, you don't want to be your own lawyer no, but it's just, you know, it's not what we want to spend our time doing. So we now, yeah. we now get somebody else to do that. So you um, guys want to focus the, more on the development of well, the new products? Nancy loves to invent and I, uh-huh. love, I love to sell. Yeah. And, and yeah, Jeffrey loves people and he connects with people so wonderfully. Mm-hmm. And I like to make stuff. And so we don't really want to do that other stuff. Yeah. So how does that evolution come along? So now, now you're reaching so many consumers is it the original formula was just a winner from the start or were there certain things, you know, you get the feedback from the re- regulatory officials, but what about from the consumers? Has that changed or directed anything you guys have done along the way? I, I suppose we, you know, we're small enough that if we hear stuff, people say, hey, do you have something for this or that? We're able to put that in the development pile and go, yeah, that'll be something we'll look at. Uh-huh. And one of the things, you know, one of the things that continues to stymie us is that probably... 50 people a year can't figure out how to unlock our trigger sprayers. It's just a and it button says, on, on the neck. push button to unlock along the side. Yeah. 
But if they buy it online, they're like, oh, the trigger spray is broken. And we just, um, you know, now we're shipping them, you know, with the trigger spray separately with it unlocked to make sure that people don't return it because they think it's broken. So that it's funny, little things. It's very small things right yeah. now. We also had um, an issue that, that we're kind of proud of how we solved it. We, you know, sometimes the bottles uh, over time would sort of suck in and not look very very nice and we we yeah, ended up uh, doing even a, before you say i mean i don't know if you know what nancy's talking about but if you ever look under your refrigerator mm-hmm. or i mean under your ki- kitchen cabinet and you pick up a bottle of something and you think huh this bottle's all sucked in was i not careful when i bought it was any in a hurry yeah it turns out most pet bottles suffer one-way evaporation and they get sucked in over time. Right. And so we, we did something unique. We ended up buying a liquid nitrogen dosing machine, which nitrogen is 76% of the air you breathe is nitrogen. And it's an inert gas with bigger molecules than oxygen. And it has been a great thing because for the vendors and consumers, our products stay nice. But more importantly, the oils don't start reacting with oxygen until the product's open. So it so people can buy something and know that it's fresh. And, yeah, and it's going to stay fresh. And it's going to stay, well, it stays fresh until they start, you know, and then when they start using it, it begins to age. And it's unique in the whole industry, we've learned, because we we own the machine ourselves and nobody's used it for that before. You know, that's been a really good thing wow. to invest I mean, that, in it. To the consumer, that's something I would never think about. Right, because because essential oils are volatile and they react with oxygen, become less effective over time, diminish and, and so people know when they get our stuff that it's going to work and it's going to be what, you know, they can rely on the quality of what's inside it. You know, and then we, we tell people within a year, you know, it, you may start seeing the oils change. It doesn't go off, but it um, it's just something you want to keep in mind and replace it after a year, you know, so you maintain efficacy. So Yeah, so that seems like a, a very unique feature to Nantucket Spider products. What is there when... You go to the shelf and you're seeing all of these different repellents and everything. Like, how do you differentiate between everything that's up there? That's such a good question. The, there are so many flavors of ice cream and there's so many repellents. There, Nancy's fond of saying there's uh, many ways to catch a mouse. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of repellents out there. And here's some good, good rules of thumb, at least in the world of natural repellent. If you flip over the bottle, you look for the active ingredient and uh, you want at least 4%, and you probably don't need any more than 15%. Um, less than 4%, you're buying water, no matter what magic is in there. And more than 15%, uh, it's a little like getting SPF 200. You think, why? Mm-hmm. And then not, not always. That's not always true, but for the most part. And also, it starts to not feel very nice on your skin. So you're looking for a range. And when you're in that range, it's not like, is better than 6%. Like once you're in the range, you're good. The second thing to do is count. Count the number of active ingredients. It's such a simple thing to do, but more is better. Um, When a plant tears its leaf, um, what it releases is the volatile. And that volatile will repel herbivores because it doesn't want. And you want multiple repellents um, for multiple um, layers of, of, of keeping the bugs away. And so you don't need much of each ingredient but you want multiples. Um, so that's the second thing you look for. Mm-hmm. And then you, you actually give it the sniff test. And here's an interesting thing. If it doesn't smell good, it's not going to work. Um, and the reason it won't work is because you're not going to use it. You're going to put a little bit on your hand. Yeah. And think, uh, 
you know, is, is that going to be enough? And that's, that's not going to be enough. And mm-hmm. so you want to do the sniff test. And the, the other thing to look for is how do I get it on my body? How do I get it from there to me? Because if you're smearing it on your hand or around your ears, um, you've got it in certain location. You've got it there. Um, is it a cream? Is it a spray? We actually, one of our things that is in our bottles, it's actually what isn't in our bottles, is we have no emulsifiers. We think people don't mind giving it a little shake um, because without an emulsifier, you can do a fine mist trigger spray and get this really broad coverage. And so the, the thing to look for is how do you get it onto your body and how is it going to be covered? Because uh, applying it the right way makes a difference. And so if you look for those factors, you know, well after you've forgotten about Nantucket spider, you're in a different part of the world, yeah. that will give you sort of guidance into how do I pick among these different products. If I can just add to that, sure. um, you know, the, an emulsifier is, is the thing that mixes oil and water together. And the ones that are allowed by the EPA in minimum risk repellents like ours, yeah. are, turn it to a milky consistency. Or people make their products with like 20% soybean oil or something like that. And the thing is, you can't spray that on your clothing or your hair or your gear without staining. And, and, and the little spray no- nozzles get stuck. They, they, they get stuck too, but you but you need to be able to mist it on your clothing as well. And, and if somebody has sensitivity, you want to put it on your socks and shoes for the tick in particular, and you want to be able to have that flexibility. And I think that that's a rare thing in repellents, and ours does that. Yeah, and so you brought up the scent, and I've looked at, you guys have quite the extensive ingredient list in uh, each of your products. How do you bring all of those together and still smell so good? Was that was that like hard to get right? Or well, sometimes so, some scents can be overwhelming, uh-huh. and they're things that work, but they don't smell good. Yeah, um, so it, it is a bit of an art. Yeah, and um, I, I often get Nancy saying, "Smell this. What do you think of this?" <laughs> well, for the first few years until we got kind of sick of smelling it, Jeffrey would like he would get out of the car and take, grab a bottle of it and mist it over himself before. Like, what is, what is that? It's not cologne. <laughs> but you know, and and having said that, our our tick repellent is stronger, and some people find it a strong scent, and it's one reason why it's like we, a spicy vanilla. Yeah, and it's one reason why we recommend that um, it be focused on, for ticks. It's, yeah. it's long lasting, and you should apply it really thoroughly on your legs and socks and shoes but i i don't like it around my face i find it heavy but some and, people and love got, it my kid my kids prefer it so they use it all the time as their bug spray can you kind of break down of what the different formulas are we kind of touched on some of them briefly sure um go ahead i was gonna say go ahead okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so our original repellent and our summer camp which has no citronella in it they have um, a range of things such as rosemary and lemongrass. Um, one has citronella, one doesn't. They have peppermint and spearmint and clove. Um, geranium. geranium ro- they all have rose geranium, which is a gr- an essential ingredient for repelling ticks. Yeah. Um, and they all, um, they're all made with essential oils. One of the other things that you find in cheaper, low-end, not sort of so-called natural sprays is people will use geranol or eugenol. And geranol is not from geranium oil. It's a cheap derivative of citronella. Our products use high-quality organic essential oils, and, and I think that that makes a big difference in, in the wearability and the scent. And um, anyway, those two are light and lemon-fresh, and they have no oil in them. They're, they, they sm- people really like the way they smell. 
The dog one has no citrus ingredients because a lot of the time dogs are sensitive to citrus ingredients. Mm -hmm. It also has no clove oil, uh, an ingredient of particular sensitivity to dogs. It has cedar wood and uh, rose geranium, uh, rosemary, and it does have peppermint. And it's interesting, peppermint has become... We, we've been hearing this year, uh, people are saying, oh, I heard that peppermint oil is toxic for dogs. And when we look into it, we see that there are some recommendations Oh, t- that people will say peppermint oil is toxic for dogs. But when you dig into it, it's because people with their lack of wisdom have been adding essential oils to dog food to try to freshen dog's breath. Essential oils are not food for the most part. You don't mm-hmm. certainly don't feed them to your pets. And so that's the nature of the warning, but it's absolutely fine to have it as a spray. We've sold 60,000 bottles of it without a, without a toxicity issue on dogs, and we we're confident that it's not a problem for dogs. And then the tick one is a very different formulation. It, it Again, it's made with all organic se- essential oils. It has some of them in a higher concentration. Again, it's not lemony because cit- um, the citrus ingredients aren't particularly useful against ticks. It has cinnamon, um, which is a very effective, but also very strong. And it's, it's what's known as a hot oil. Like that's yeah. that's why some you'd want to use it on your lower body. You, you, like hot oils, you don't really want on your lips. Okay. Um, we, you know, we don't recommend yeah. it for pets because of the hot oils. It has clove and and cinnamon. Um, and then the other thing, it has a very it has a unique ingredient. It has natural vanillin. And vanillin is not vanilla. And okay. one of the things I've, I thought is, let's just use vanilla. Turns out that vanilla has um, doesn't have much vanillin in it. Most of the vanillin that we see in flavoring and stuff um, comes from horrible places. It comes from pulp and paper waste and other unsavory um, things. Our, our vanillin is from cloves. And okay. cloves, ha- for some reason, have a higher concentration of vanillin. And the role of vanillin is quite important because it binds with the essential oils so they don't evaporate quickly. One of the problems with natural repellents it, that people often hear is they don't last. Yeah. And they, you know, they're volatile, they evaporate. This one doesn't evaporate. It takes a long time to go away. So if you spray it on your socks and shoes, the next day you still smell it. Like it, it works for a really long time. Yeah, I guess it. Yeah, it, right? I, think, I think that's right. Um, so that with bug repellent, you really do know when it's time to reapply, but you don't with tick repellent. So it's really important to make sure that it that it that it stay on well after you stop thinking about it because you're not going to hear a buzzing in your ear to remind you. Yeah, yeah. With now all these different formulas and all the the mosquitoes, the flies, the ticks that you're looking to repel, you guys have actually done quite a bit of testing to see the efficacy of it. Can you share with us a little bit about that in that process? So the um we we know that the tick repellent repels 92% of deer ticks and the regular and the and the summer camp both repelled 99% of all the mosquitoes they were tested against. So we, we know they're really effective. And the dog has a lot of the essential ingredients for that that are in the other one. So we know that it has what you need to repel ticks. We haven't had it tested yet because of the cost. It's very expensive. Yeah. One of the things that we are going to be doing this year is a lot more testing on all of them. But unfortunately, commercially, you can't just send it off to get it tested against certain flies and stable flies and stuff like that. We're going to have to uh, arrange for those tests to be done ourselves, and that's a, you know, that will be a process. Yeah. Some of the states require efficacy testing in order to register labels, and and so we've met that threshold for those three products, and we will be doing it for the dog as well, and and um, and and, and the sticks, which we have. And about. Y- you wonder how they d- how they do 
tick testing. I mean, you, you, yeah. you, you know, I don't know if people imagine people, subjects who put their arm in a, a, a tick tank. It, it, that's not it. <laughs> okay. Like, I, I mean, who do you even find to test for tick repellent? I don't well, even that's know. That's not easy. No, it, it, <laughs> in fact, they hadn't. They, and so the way, yeah. they, the way they do it is they take ticks and they um, put them in a Petri dish that's got some, sort of a cloth on it. And they, they put it on its side and the tick will walk from the bottom of the Petri dish to the top. And if they'll do yeah. that in a certain period of time, then they're walkers and they're eligible for the study. And they take the eligible ticks and they put them in another Petri dish. Only this time there's a midline with the repellent. And they put the tick at the bottom. If the tick is willing to cross into the repellent area, uh-huh. the repellent isn't repellent. And so in that context, it repelled 92% of the deer ticks. And that's actually an important thing about bug repellent in general. As, as I was saying earlier, how, how you put it on, if you've got a wonderful, wonderful repellent on your leg and you bump into a tick, the tick can't jump off. There's no jumpability. It's like all the tick can do is wander to where you don't have the repellent and work its way up. And so what you want is something that's going to create a sort of a barrier yeah and that it's broad enough that they can't find their way around to work their way up where they're going to do damage um like getting behind your ear and your armpit or you know back here you know i was I, when you've been talking about that jeffrey i it might be a good idea to talk about ticks in general because if people understand one of the things we do when we make a product is we study the behavior of what we what it is that we're trying to repel yeah and so for black flies for example they crawl in your ears and your know, hairline and so having something you can't spray in your hair is, is useless against black flies. Mm-hmm. Um, mosquitoes, of course, they, some of them go for your ankles. You know, it's, it's where you apply things. We all know more instinctively about mosquitoes because we feel them. Yeah. You know, flies go on your head. And, and, but ticks are, you know, ticks were, have been around forever, but they've had surprisingly little study about them. And part of it is because they're hard to collect and hard to test and hard to find. Mm-hmm. But... I, th- I think it's important when you when you think about what you're trying to repel to understand the life cycle of them so that you can use strategies that actually work. So ticks have uh, three stages of life after they hatch their um, larva. Mm-hmm. And the larva are 100% on the ground. And that's where, because the ticks lay their eggs on the ground. So you may have seen a cat or dog run up to your door and they have like 100 ticks right on their face. Those are larvae that they've managed to find and stick their face in. Larvae are not born infected, and they don't with Lyme. Trans- with Lyme, and they don't transmit disease. They're very, very tiny, uh-huh. and they, you know, they usually are a cluster when they bite. After they feed on their first host, the larvae drop off and they molt into nymphs. The nymphs are also almost entirely in the, the first six inches of the ground. They're on the grass. They're in leaf litter and. Uh, they like damp places, so if you if a lawn isn't a particularly good habitat, so if you trim your lawn and you keep away the brush on the outside of it, you're going to reduce the tick population okay. of, for nymphs. Now, nymphs can be infected depending on who they fed on the first time. Most of them feed on probably rodents or squirrels or birds or chipmunks. And the nymphs are, are small and they're hard to see. They get on you from the ground and they crawl up. And the reason so many people think that things are jumping on them from the trees because they find ticks behind their ears and in their hair, they don't start there. They come up from the ground and they can move pretty quickly. And so that's why it's so important to make a barrier with your repellent on your feet and your socks and shoes and anything that's coming into contact with brush. If you're lifting brush, you put it on your arms and your hands as well. And 
Then the um, the nymphs molt one more time, and only the adult females feed the third time. The males will hitch a ride, but the females will attach. And so knowing that you're what you're really, really trying to do is stop nymph bites and adult female bites, it just seems like a more manageable thing. And the adult females will crawl up to waist high in brush. So if you're, you know, if you are walking through something deeper, you may pick up adult females. And at least the um, the deer ticks, you bump into them for the most part. When they get, when you're within a few feet of a deer tick, it will, it will grab onto where it's at and start waving its howler claws, hoping that you'll bump into to them. Uh-huh. And so once you're on it, you know, it, its leg structure is such that it's not going to be able to get off of you very easily. And it can't hop off. There, there's no uh, there's no hopability. And so there's nowhere for it to go, you know, except yeah. uh, it, it, maybe it won't attach or maybe it won't work its way up. I'm a hobbyist beekeeper. Um, and two summers ago, I was, uh, and, and I wear a hazmat suit, basically. I'm a terrible beekeeper. My <laughs> friends just have a veil, but I wear everything. And you can always see when I come out of the field, the ticks on you. They're little black dots. And it's, yep. it, it's creepy, but it's nice because, you know, you can see them all. Right. When we came out with our tick product, I was very good about spraying it before I'd go out into the apiary. And I don't know, two years ago, I forgot. And I went out and I got out into the middle of a field. And I thought, I forgot. And so I go running back to my car. I grab the bottle, but I'm a middle-aged, out-of-shape man. And I was too out of breath to do my legs and my ankles. And I just sprayed my middle. And I thought, ah, that's it. Yeah. And go back out. And 45 minutes later, when I left the apiary, I saw four ticks on one leg and two on the other. But there you have it. It's like they couldn't make it up. Yeah. Could, it's not that I didn't bump into them, but they, they, they were stuck below the spray line. And I thought, you know, if you live... In the Northeast, and you're thinking about ticks, there's no silver bullet. What you're thinking about is strategies of tick bite reduction. Mm-hmm. That's really what you're, you're looking for. And so this becomes part of the process of, of many, of sort of a many-pronged approach. You'll have your a swing set at least 12 feet in from the edge of the yard because ticks tend not to wander in beyond that. Um, you'll have uh, daily showers and tick checks. You know, it's just part of a process. And as, as you know about things like how ticks operate, it serves to make you less afraid. Our concept is we live in this world. We're not out to kill the world around us. We're not out to be afraid of the world around us. We, you just need to know how to operate in such a way that we can live our lives, that the, the, the bugs can live their lives. I, you know, my, my personal philosophy is everything's got a right to be there. Yep. Just not on me, not right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might have to be your new slogan instead of... Uh, uh, the, and it should be easy. You know, having a bug repellent shouldn't scare people. You know, you, you don't need a big, scary-looking mosquito with a circle around it, with a line through it, and, you know, with its eyes bugged out. And So, it, actually, you, you bring that up, and you, and you talked a little bit about the labeling. Your labeling is quite different. Our philosophy is you should embrace summer you shouldn't get out there and have fun enjoy yourself understand the risks manage the risks but don't let it change you and don't let it change the way you interact with things and so we we decided that you know bug spray has always been a necessary evil it's always smelled bad and been kind of creepy and you're always reminded of the things you're trying to prevent and we thought you know we want to be the sunscreen of bug spray so you know when you open up your favorite sunscreen and you smell it and you think oh that's summer we decided that we want to be that for people. And 
because nobody has ever done that with bug spray. When I do demos at stores, I'll say, would you like a, you know, a spritz of this bug repellent? And you should see the look of horror in people's <laughs> eyes. Like, no! <laughs> because they think you know, bug spray smells awful or yeah. should smell awful. And we're changing that. So, uh, so our, our our labels and our logo and our, all of our marketing stuff is bright and colorful and playful, because we want people to remember to go out and play and have fun. And you know, we're the people that would have still been at summer camp if we hadn't aged out. I think. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, Nancy, you're you're oh, you're soon on your uh, your way back to summer camp. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, we spend the summer up there. You know, it's been fascinating to hear you know how you developed it and your thought behind it, and I think. Being the friendly insect repellent, you know, it definitely starts with you guys both being extremely friendly uh, individuals yourself. So thank you. Thanks. Great. Well, thank you guys so much. And, uh, you know, I hope nothing bugs you guys this summer. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Terry. Thank you all for listening. For notes from this episode, visit the podcast section of our website at com. Also, we'd love to hear your topic ideas or questions. So shoot us an email at podcast at mackeysinc.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at M-A-C-K-E-Y-S-I-N-C.com. And you'll also be entered into our grab bag prize drawing. If you found the information in this podcast useful or simply enjoyed our chat, we truly appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review on your listening app, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps us share our show with others and honestly, It helps us get more guests as we meet and invite interesting people on our show. So thanks again, and until next time, remember, where that is in which you love, that's home. Mackie's, where the home grows.